This is Pastor Scott. Thank you so much for checking out my sermon podcast from the New Hope Walpolopin Faith, Stairwell, and Slocum United Methodist Churches. We'd love to have you join us some Sunday for worship. To find out more about our locations and worship times, find us on Facebook at New Hope Walpolopin. We hope to see you soon. What is the longest or or maybe even the hardest journey that you have ever had to take? Um, I've traveled a little bit. I like to travel um, to a fault. I know some of you, I don't know if anybody, any travelers here? Well, Grant, obviously. (laughs) But I know that I like to, um, I've been on a few trips with missions and and things. And I remember um, the summer before my senior year in college, um, I took a job um, part-time for the summer. It was an internship at... Uh, First United Methodist Church in Hagerstown, Indiana. I was the youth director there. And when I accepted the position, I knew that one of my responsibilities was to help lead a youth mission trip to Hart Butte, Montana, um, which is in northwest Montana. And we were going to drive there and back. Uh, it was I don't remember the mileage, but it was a three-day trip there and a three-day trip home. Uh, I think it ended up being 10 days total. And we were going to a Blackfoot Indian reservation. We were going to do a vacation Bible school for the kids and and some other things. And we loaded up into a minivan and a pickup truck for the three-day trip. And I'm pretty sure that we had five in the pickup truck. I mean, we were pretty packed in. Um, and the pickup truck was full of all of our supplies and all of our stuff. And so we headed out on this three-day trip, going through the upper Midwest. Um, and it was, it was a lot of fun. Uh, we played a lot of games. Uh, Euchre is a big Indiana thing. Um, pardon me, I'm going to sneeze. Um, so we played Euchre a lot. We, we did other card games and, you know, finding stuff on the road. And um, just so many things. We used bathrooms in places I never would have imagined having to go to the bathroom. If you've ever been through Montana, you go when you can because um, there's not much out there. And actually, um, one of my, my funniest memories from the trip is I helped drive a little bit. I was 21 at the time. And on the way home, um, drove uh, to start the trip on the way home from Montana and then wasn't allowed to drive the rest of the trip uh, because we stopped at uh, one of the, our first stop. And one of the older ladies in the group came up and said, um, I think we're driving entirely too fast. Um, but we were in Montana, and Montana does not have speed limits posted. And so you can drive as safe as you feel. We had the wind behind us and made up two hours that day, just letting you know. Um, but I, I didn't get to drive the rest of the trip. So um, what can I say? I was in the pickup truck. The wind was just pushing us along. So. It's like having the wind in your sails. So, so that, that's always one of my favorite journeys, uh, stories about a journey. Um, and our story today from Luke is also about a journey. Um, many times in our lives, we take journeys. Um, we have some hard journeys, the ones that we don't want to take. We, we have other journeys, uh, the things that we enjoy. But really, if you look at it, life itself is a journey. Um, us in this, you know, us in the world, we're traveling on this big, giant blue rock, blue and green rock. Um, traveling like at a bazillion miles an hour. No, I don't know. I mean, no, I don't know science that well. But, you know, spinning around, you know, we're traveling around the sun. Um, even us here as churches, we're traveling through this life. We get older together. We celebrate joys and, and we celebrate sorrows together. Um, this life is a journey for us. And Eric Moretto, an associate professor of New Testament uh, at Princeton Theological Seminary, says this, talking about um, the book of Luke. He said that roads and journeys are a common theme in the book of Luke. A journey brings Mary and Joseph to Bethlehem. A road is the narrative setting for the parable of the Good Samaritan. A road leads the prodigal back home to his father. 
Jesus sets his eyes towards Jerusalem in Luke 9, 51 and travels there until 1928. This is known among scholars as the travel narrative, wherein we find some of the most distinctively Lucan contribution to the story of Jesus. The roads continue in the book of Acts, where, for instance, Paul encounters the risen Jesus on his way to Damascus. There's something about travel that evokes Luke's literary and theological imagination. There's something about roads, the way roads bring us together, the way roads can pose a danger to us all, the way roads become a symbol of faith on the move. Even thinking about Grant and what he does for a living, um, there's this camaraderie again among truckers that spend time on the road. Um, you know, people who ride motorcycles spending time on the road. There's this camaraderie around people that spend time together on the move. And today we see Jesus, uh, two of Jesus' disciples on the road traveling from Jerusalem to Emmaus. Um, today is, is a reminder that Jesus had disciples outside of the twelve. Um, he had faithful followers, men and women. Um, who who were faithful disciples to him, even though they weren't part of his inner circle, they were still a part. Um, so much so that Jesus appears to them. So that tells us something about their importance. Um, but it's easy for us to sometimes forget that it wasn't just the 12 following Jesus around and everybody else was groupies or paparazzi or whatever, you know, that Jesus had faithful disciples that walked with him during his three years on earth. Now, if there is... Um, Something sounds familiar about the road to Emmaus. This is actually a spiritual walk. Um, it's not as big here in Pennsylvania as it was in Indiana, um, but it's sponsored by the Upper Room. There's a thing called the Walk to Emmaus, which is a weekend spiritual retreat where you walk together and you do it. Um, I think there's no phones. Like there's certain rules. You, once you're there, you have to stay there. You can't leave. Um, there's, there's certain rules about it. But the idea is sort of this getting away from everything and walking together on this road to Emmaus, which is what this is built on. But we begin uh, reading in chapter uh, in Luke 24, 13. We read this, that these two had, were going to a village called Emmaus and about set, that was about seven miles from Jerusalem. And as they're walking with each other and talking about everything that had happened, um, discussed things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. So during their walk, they were discussing everything that had just happened. Um, the words that are actually in the Greek that are used to describe this makes it sound like this wasn't just a, you know, a, a, it was a lively conversation, but it sounded like there was a lot of emotion because, you know, they were talking about Jesus and everything that had happened um, because as far as they knew, Jesus was still dead. So as these two were walking and having this discussion, they're joined by Jesus, who who shows up as a stranger. Um, I think Jesus likes to do this. Um, I think Jesus likes to sometimes sneak into our lives when we least expect him. Um, look at Mary. Jesus appeared to her as a gardener. And this one, we said that he was kept from recognizing them. We don't really know. We don't know if this was divine action. Uh, we don't know if he had disguised himself. Some think that maybe they just weren't expecting him, so they didn't recognize him. You know, maybe his appearance was different after everything um, that they had experienced. Maybe they, you know, while they were disciples, maybe they hadn't spent as much time as the other disciples, so maybe they may not have recognized him first off, or, or it could have just been an unexpected thing. You ever been in the store and there's somebody that you know and you see them, but it's in a weird place, so you don't recognize them at first because it's like, I didn't expect to see you here. I only see you in church on Sundays or or something like that. What are you doing here? You 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 live outside of the church now. You know we could have seen that, so we don't really know. Um, but I do think that Jesus likes to have a little fun because Jesus does this sometimes. And I think Jesus sometimes will show up when we least expect him. 
So he shows up and he asks them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? And they said they stood still, their faces downcast, because they were talking about the crucifixion. It says that they were downcast, meaning, you know, you ever talk to somebody and they're kind of like, you know, downcast. Think of Eeyore um, from, from Money the Pooh. Pardon me for a moment. I need to. Uh, so glamorous. Um, <laughs> tell you what, allergies are great. But, but their, their faces were downcast. So they were, they were sad about what they were talking about. But this makes me kind of wonder. Um, if Jesus were to walk up among our conversations, when the joy circle is getting ready for a fundraiser, when Faith Church is making uh, chocolate, you know, or when, when Slocum's doing hoagies, if Jesus were to walk up, so what are we talking about? What would we tell him? Would we tell him, you know, what, what's dominating our conversations, both here at church, but when we're in the community? What kind of things are dominating what we talk about? Um, and what would he say? Like, and, and when we're out in the community, you know, are we allowing ourselves to be caught up in conversations that we shouldn't be allowing ourselves to be caught up in? Um, you know, right now we live in a kind of a time that, that we have some pretty fiery communication going on, that we get ourselves, it's easy to get caught up in, you know, politics and religion and, and different things. And, and we have to be careful that when we're out in the community that we don't just go along with things. Um, forever ago, when I was in college, I jokingly said a couple of years ago when I was still in college, but it's been a whole lot longer than that. Um, I, and I've, I'm pretty sure I've shared this story before, but I worked at Miller Dairy in my hometown. No relation, wish they were. He had money. We didn't have as much. Um, but one night towards the end of the summer, it was, for, it was a summer job. Um, we worked like kind of second shift overnight. And um, one night at the end, it was kind of the end of the summer, getting ready to go back to school, I think, in a week or two. Or actually, it might have been just quicker than that. And... I'm sitting here working on, we, we assembled, like, we put packages together for dairy products and stuff like that, for freezer products. And um, one of the guys uh, that I'm working with says, you know, I can't believe you're going to school to, he, he said, be a pastor. I was going in youth ministry. I'm like, what do you mean? Well, you know, you listen to the same music we listen to. You use the same language we use. You, you, you laugh at the same jokes we laugh at. I just can't believe you're going to be a pastor. Ow. Because uh, I was taken aback. Because now I, now I have to admit, sometimes I pride myself now. Um, you know, I'm not a typical pastor, or, you know, with, with all of that, working a, another job and things like that. But I think as Christians, we have to be careful because there's this push now. Um, I see it a lot online. I see it in, in people I know where we have, for the longest time, sort of ostracized ourselves by being a little too... I don't want to say holier than thou, but you know what I mean. Like sometimes Christians can just be weird. Like we use words that are weird. We talk about stuff that's weird. Look up some of the old Christian music stuff in the videos of churches online. There's some interesting stuff out there. There's a couple raps and, and other stuff. But sometimes Christian and Christian culture can be a little odd. But sometimes we have to be careful because if we're not if, if, trying to be normal or being like everybody else, if we're not careful, we allow things to come in that we shouldn't allow to come in. Um, and I think I've done that time to time, um, inviting myself or coming into conversations that I should not be a part of. And so I would just caution us that as Christians, you know, we're not supposed to be like separate off in our little compounds, um, you know, but, but we're supposed to be different than the rest of the world. So I would just caution us to be careful um, with the conversations we have, 
um, with how we treat people, with how we act. And and that's just that was my big wake up call. But as I'm walking along, um, one of the two, Cleopas, uh, as Jesus asked this question to them, it says, what are you talking about? He says, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? Cleopas is looking at him like, wait a second, and didn't you hear the news? Like, have you been living under a rock for the past few days? Now, Jesus was probably thinking, no, but I was behind one. <laughs> Did you like that joke? I thought that was good. Uh, but Jesus sort of prodding them a little bit, I think wanting to see what they said. Jesus says, what things? So the disciples go on to tell Jesus uh, in verses 19 through 20 on all that had happened over the previous few days, uh, basically telling him about his own trial, his own death. And then they start to tell him about the resurrection. And the language that is actually used in the NIV is pretty tame. The original language um, also kind of makes it sound like that the disciples didn't exactly entirely believe the account that the women told them about Jesus' resurrection. Almost like they were having some sort of a, a psychotic episode um, that they weren't quite understanding. You know, they had visions that, that they were kind of out of their minds. Um, and they didn't entirely believe them. Almost like they, they thought that the women's story was nonsense because they still hadn't found the body. They just assumed the body was stolen, um, which is kind of funny and ironic considering they're telling Jesus that, you know, in this language, we don't really believe what happened to them. And here he is standing there talking to them and they don't realize it's him. So it's kind of funny that, 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 that these two things happened. But Jesus goes out on to call them on their unbelief. And he said to them, how foolish you are and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. And then he goes on to say, did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And then beginning with Moses all, and all of the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all of the scriptures concerning himself. He basically did a Christmas Eve service. Because you know how we come to Christmas Eve and we do the service of, of, of hymns and carols and, and we start with the prophets and we work our way up to the birth. But he went even a little further than that and told them all of these things that had to happen, how he had to suffer and die and all of the prophecy. It's almost like Jesus was, was kind of in a playful way saying, well, wait a second. This is what the scripture said. This is what happened. How do you not put these two things together? Like, how are you missing this? So they finally get close to the village. Jesus um, pretends that he needs to continue on, but they invite him in. And it wasn't until Jesus starts to share and break bread with them and, and he starts to recreate. We see similar words to what was said in the Last Supper that it says their eyes were open. They recognized who he was. And then he disappeared. This one kind of makes me wonder, this Jesus appearing to them in, in what would be the communion liturgy, makes me wonder how often do we see Jesus in the rituals and the traditions that we do? Communion and baptism and worship and prayer, even in scripture reading, do we see Jesus in these familiar things or have these familiar things become too familiar? Have they become just rituals? When we recite the liturgy, the Apostles' Creed, the Lord's Prayer, do we listen to what we're saying? And do we actually believe what we say? Or are they just words? But this also makes me wonder, how often do we miss Jesus in our midst? Understanding that he walks through us, through the highs and the lows of our lives. 
In our world right now, it seems that, that many are more interested in finding an enemy than they are finding a friend. We struggle to trust and connect with others. There are people out there that are longing for connection, but they don't know who they can trust. And it makes me wonder how often we've seen Jesus in the day-to-day and in the eyes of another person and not recognize him because we can't get past what we see on the outside. Because we can't get past some exterior thing to see what's going on on the inside. But this also makes us have to sort of flip the coin on it. How often do others see Jesus in their interactions with us? Are we, as we go through life, looking for opportunities to be Jesus to the world, to be his hands and his feet? And do we see interruptions as opportunities or a nuisance? Have you ever considered that maybe God puts people in your path so that you could be a witness for Jesus Christ? And if you are that witness, are you showing them a Jesus that they would want to know? Right now in our world, church attendance has dropped. And I think part of that is because as Christians, we've done a terrible job of showing people who Jesus really is. We've shown them a Republican or a Democrat Jesus. We've shown them a hateful Jesus, a bigoted Jesus, a racist Jesus, an American Jesus. But we're, we're struggling to show them an authentic Jesus. And I think we need to do a better job of showing people who Jesus really is and reaching out and loving them. So this week, you have an assignment. I want to invite each and every one of us to do one intentional act of kindness a day. It doesn't have to be anything major. You don't have to do that pay it forward thing, you know, where you go to Dunkin' Donuts, you pay for the coffee behind you. Actually, if you're going to do that, just tip the people working because if the person behind you is in line for Dunkin', they were prepared to pay for their own stuff. So just take that money and just give it to the people working. They probably need it more. Anyway. But just a phone call to somebody that we haven't seen in a while or a note, a postcard, um, a text message, even just being nice to somebody that waits on you or helps you or, you know, have a blessed day or thank you, I appreciate you. Just something to show someone that they matter and that they are important. Anything just to brighten someone else's day. I would invite us this week and even beyond to be that interruption to somebody's day that shows them a little bit of Jesus. Let us pray. Dear God, we thank you for the journeys of this life. As we travel this world together, this life together, we ask that you would walk with us and that you would point us to where, we would have, where you would have us to go, and that you would help us to be your hands and feet to a world that needs you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.